Welcome to On the Blacktop, the show that helps you be a better salesman. I'm Kelly Meggs, and I'm here to help you learn everything you need to know to be a better salesperson. You know, last week we talked a little bit about uh, that the road to the sale and talked about the needs analysis and product selection and how to use those two things together. And then one of the things we're going to transition into is how to use that pre-sale information, needs analysis information, not only for product selection, but also to give a better demonstration to your customers to show them, hey, this is exactly what you need to do. Uh, this car is going to be perfect for what you're using it for. So it gives them a better insight that, hey, this is a perfect vehicle for us, and it makes it a little easier for them to make that decision. But before we get on to that, you know, I had a couple of questions this week as we went through, and some of the questions were things about timelines and how long does it take to advance and what are what are what are things that dealerships looks for from salespeople to move up. And I wanted to address that a little bit. You know, it's kind of a hard thing to say because it does depend on what your dealership needs as far as where your best path is to advancement. I mean, some people choose the route of going from a salesperson to a sales manager. Some people choose uh, heading the direction from salesperson into the finance department. And I guess that's something you really have to kind of get a feel for. I mean, typically the finance department um, has some of the better closes in it, especially the way the industry is going. Uh, more and more of the gross profit that dealerships uh, do see comes from that finance side. There's a number of different reasons for that, and we'll get into that. That's way advanced, so we'll get into that later. But as far as the actual path to advancement, it's going to depend on your store and depend on the needs that your store does have. I would recommend um, speaking directly to your manager or maybe even sit down and, and schedule a time with the general manager of your store and uh, discuss some of your plans and what your path is, you know, for advancement. I, I tend to try to keep my guys in the loop of, hey, listen, you know, it's hard because you've got guys that are six, seven, eight months into the business and they start looking at taking this seriously as a career and you want to lay out a path for them. But at the same time, you don't want to discourage them because their number one priority needs to be to sell cars. And that's the, you know, ultimately that's the thing that's going to get you advanced anyway. So it's pretty important that you spend the time and focus on what you're doing now. Those advancements are going to come in time and don't rush it. I mean, I'm, I can tell you this just from experience, you know, being on the floor three or four years before moving into management um, for myself, I felt I was definitely, it was definitely time for me to move up from the floor to the manager's desk. The first time I did it though, it didn't work out too well. Um, I was a manager for about a month and a half and then I got moved back down. The main reason was because I didn't know how to manage people. And that's something that you don't know. I mean, you, it's very difficult to come off a sales floor and become a sales manager if you don't have, number one, the respect for the team the you know the the team has respect for you should i say and what happens is it creates animosity amongst people sometimes so it makes it a little bit more difficult the the ultimate way to get moved up is to prove your worth by helping others and spending time helping your managers helping the other people so that they can see that you have the ability to teach and help train those those things are what's important when you when you continue forward, because really, I mean, honestly, dealerships don't need managers for any reason other than to teach and train and assist you 
in doing things that you don't know how to do. So if your goal is to be a manager, then you need to master the trade of being a salesman because your job as a manager is your number one priority is to spend time and teach those salespeople to advance. So, I mean, ultimately everybody in this business is constantly um, creating their replacement. And that's something that a lot of people don't like to do. And if you're one of those people that feel, don't like competition or you're worried that someone's going to take your job and things like that, then it may be very difficult for you, for, be, for you to be successful because really, truly to be a successful manager in this business, the time that you spend has to be on developing your team. And, and if you're scared of your team getting too good and creating competition, that makes you a worse manager, not a better manager. So I think when I first got promoted, my big thing was I wanted everybody to respect me. And you almost create this thing like you have to respect me. I'm your boss. And that's not how people respect you. People respect you by your knowledge, your ability to train them, and your ability to help them make money. That is the key to being a good manager. The key to being a good manager is listening to them, understanding where they're coming from, and then spending time helping them get to the next level. And, and so many times people get that confrontational feeling of like, hey, he doesn't respect me, so he's not being a good employee for me, and I'm, I'm the manager. He has to respect that. I, okay, yes, theoretically he does, but you can't make someone respect you. They either do or they don't. So that's kind of the thing you have to start looking at as you're developing yourself to become a manager. It's not the path that everybody should take. I warn you, it's not. Not everybody in this business was built to be a sales manager or a finance manager or move into a general manager role. There are plenty of people that are salespeople their whole life, very happy, very successful, make a lot of money. And like I said before, you can be a salesperson and really have a better life and a better, you know, schedule and things like that than even a manager does. Because those things, managers are required to be there a certain amount of time. Salespeople, if you're a top salesperson and performer and you're selling 30 cars a month, 18 cars a month, something like that, regularly in your dealership, no one's going to tell you what to do. You're doing it already. There's no, there's no more, oh, I have to coddle them and I have to make sure they hear it in every meeting and I have to do that. No, you've got a little more flexibility. Now, yes, you have to participate. You have to be a team player. That's something we require all the way across the board. But as far as you being able to have the flexibility of your life and your lifestyle, depending on where you want to be. I mean, if you don't mind putting in the 60, 70 hours a week, then management might be for you. But if you're trying to get to a point where you can make the money and not necessarily put in all the hours, then you should probably look at staying as a salesperson because sometimes successful salespeople can just stay at that level and they don't have to worry about necessarily being there all the time. Okay, enough said about that. Let's get back to the road to the sale, which is why we're here. I want to spend a minute just talking to you about the pre-sale information and the needs analysis that we talked about in the last two episodes. We talked about meeting and greeting the customer outside. That was pretty much a quick episode. Then we spent a lot of time on that pre-sale information and needs analysis. And like I told you last week, I could spend weeks doing just shows on that because that really is the crucial, not only roadmap of how you're going to go about the sale process with the customer, but it's also the key in finding out information to help you close later, which we've also discussed a couple times. And we're going to use some of those examples. But one of the things we talked about last week was the customer that takes that vehicle and goes back and forth to work, but also may go camping with the family or something like on the weekends, needs a 5,000 pound towing capacity, whether he has a boat or whatever he has. 
Um, if you've done a good needs analysis, pre-sell information, or you know, guest sheet, as some people like to call it, you're going to find out how many people are in the family, how much room they need, do they need third row seating, you know. And one of the problems that you have is you get into larger vehicles, especially if you got people who have a large family. If you have six or seven people in the family, and you've you got to accommodate their luggage and everything, it, it almost eliminates a lot of vehicles um, because just because of the pure size of it. And unless they're going to be able to store a lot of stuff in their RV, they're not going to have room for luggage as well as all the people. So you really do have to be careful when you're selecting cars based on the needs that they have. Um, you just want to make sure you're giving somebody the right car based on what they've told you. Um, let's just talk about that guy for a second. Mr. Jones last week was telling us that, uh, you know, he uses his car back and forth to business, but he also does some camping with the kids and he's got, you know, he's 5,000 pound towing capacity. So we found out a couple of key things um, that we can kind of build our presentation around. So as we pick out a vehicle, we're probably going to go the route of a, you know, it, for, you know, expedition, suburban, something larger, Tahoes, those type of vehicles, just because in order to get that passenger capacity and the towing capability, you're probably going to have to go in that type of direction. Um, so I would recommend you pick up something like that, whether it be new or pre-owned, depending on what you're selling. Um, you've got that kind of vehicle picked out. And when you when you start your presentation, you want to use all the information that he's given you to customize this presentation. Now, I used to use a, a you know, an example of your wife tells you what she wants from the grocery store. She wants eggs, milk, butter, I need flour. I need vanilla extract. I need um, a pie crust and I need, you know, some vanilla wafers. What was the first thing I told you in that list? It's, it's kind of hard to remember, but if you go back for a second, it was eggs. That's what we talked about first. But the reason I did it that way is you don't always remember things that were just thrown at you in a list order. You're just listing things. There's no meaning to them. But if I say, hey, I'm going to make a banana cream pie and I'm going to put some vanilla wafers on top and we need eggs, first of all, so that we can make the batter or we can make the crust or whatever it is that you're going to use those eggs for. And I, I go into an explanation of why we need those eggs first. And that's the first and ground layer of it. When you get to the store, you're going to be, okay, we're building a pie and we got to get eggs because that makes our crust. And that's where we start. And then we're going to do this. And then we're going to get the extract. And it gives you a better idea and picture in your mind of what you need. So if we use everything that this customer told us earlier, when we're presenting the car, instead of just listing a bunch of things, Hey, this car's got, you know, halogen front headlamps. We've got fog lamps down here. We've got a bumper cover on the front. Nice looking and stylish. Windshield gives you good visibility out the front. You start talking about those things. They mean nothing to the customer. However, if we back up a minute and talk about the halogen headlights for a second. Mr. Jones, one of the things you're going to notice on this car is we use a halogen style headlight. The reason that we use that is for visibility purposes. Now, one of the things you're going to notice when you're driving this car, especially when you're towing and you're going camping. See, when you're out camping and you're in the woods, these lights throw off 30% more light than our traditional headlamps do. So what that's going to do is it's going to give you a better sight and visibility as you're pulling into that campsite. It's going to light up the area a little bit better, and it's going to make it easier for you and, fam you and your family to see. Okay? I just did... I don't know how many seconds was that 30 seconds on headlights. And I basically took that headlight and put it in his campground. Now 
That is personalizing. That's what we're talking about. When we're talking about personalizing things, that's what I'm talking about. We're talking about taking the vehicle and actually putting it in their daily life or their routine so that they can see how this is going to work for them. Okay. Now we can continue on. We also have fog lights. And what's that going to do for you? Well, in those times when it is foggy or when you wake up in the morning and it's, you know, if you're trying to get your gear all loaded up, popping those fog lights on, it's going to give you a little bit more light, illuminate that campground a little bit better for you. Or like you said, you drive to work early in the mornings and you drive, you know, about an hour to work. In those mornings when that mist and that fog is still on the ground, those fog lights are going to make it a little more visible for you um, so that you can see other people. But also what it's going to do is help them see you through that fog. Typically, that fog layer lays a little bit off the ground. The reason they call them fog lights is being that that fog is up off the ground two or three feet, sometimes it may block your headlights. What it will not do is it will not block that bottom layer. So those fog lights can actually glare through and allow other people to see you. So those kind of things are different um, ways to describe things that normally may not be described, you know, be described properly with a customer. And so I might just say, yeah, it's got fog lights. Who's going to remember better the purpose of a fog light? The guy that you say, hey, it's got fog lights or the guy that I just explained the entire reason that people made fog lights to begin with. So what else might be important to Mr. Jones on his vehicle? We talked a little bit about the front. What I recommend you do when you do a walk around. Now, I kind of jumped ahead of actually presenting options without actually telling you the way to do the uh, actual walk around. I recommend that you take the customer and we call it butterflying a car or you can open it up. I, I just say open up the car all the way. You pop open the four doors. If you do have four, obviously, in this case, we're dealing with a six or seven passenger vehicle. So we're going to have to have four doors. I also recommend you open the hood, unlatch the hood. You don't have to open it all the way and open up the rear hatch. The reason that we want to do that is when we pull the car up before we bring the customer outside, it, number one, it lets all the heat out of the car, especially if you're in Florida or Texas or you know Arizona where you get that sweltering heat all year round. It just gives the car a chance to let that initial heat melt off a little bit and get the air kicking in gear. Let me tell you something. It's hard to get a car that's 100 degrees cool. So if you open up that door and you can drop the temperature down to 80 degrees, by having the windows and doors all open before you even bring the customer out, let that air get circulating. By the time you're actually ready to get inside the car, it's going to be cooled down a little bit and make you and the customers more comfortable. So just there's a couple of different reasons why you butterfly a car. So that's the main reason. Um, when you bring the customer out, I highly recommend, especially it depends on who your drivers are. If you've got four or five people in the party, you're going to kind of want to engage everybody because it's going to kind of get to the point where Half the people are outside the car, half the people are inside the car. Um, and it, you really have to play it by ear. If you try to keep the two main buyers involved in your walk around, then that's probably your best bet. The kids may jump in the car and start looking at all the buttons and things like that. And you may even, you know, as you're walking around, make a few comments to them inside the car. Just tell, oh, yeah, did you check out that? The headphones are right back there for the DVD player and all those different things. So you can keep them involved that way, but primarily focus on the buyers of the vehicle and those people that are going to be driving because it's going to give you the best chance to um, show them that this car fits all their wants and needs. I mean, really, do the kids really care other than anything about the DVD player? That's all they care about. So they could be on the totally wrong car, but it's got a DVD player and they're happy. So you don't really have to spend too much time trying to sell the kids. And sometimes I see salespeople 
who are scared of dealing with the main buyer or afraid of the no's, so to speak, the people that are going to say no to them. So they tend to just try to make friends with the kids and they think that the parents are going to buy the car just because of the kids. That's not the case. That's not going to happen. I mean, you can't be rude to the kids, but if you're polite to the kids and making sure you're taking care of the parents the right way, that's the best way to secure your deal. So um, once you get the car opened up, I would make sure you have the buyers and decision makers out front in the front of the vehicle. We do a multi-point walk around. I recommend you start at the front of the vehicle. You talk a little bit about the styling, talk about the headlamps, brighter lights, safety, things of that nature, because obviously they're going to have some safety concerns because they do have kids. So anytime you're dealing with a family that has kids, safety is something that I would touch on. I would also touch on a little bit about the visibility while I'm in the front, because sometimes um, if you're not accustomed to driving these bigger vehicles like this, it can be a little bit concerning. Um, you know, especially if you're dealing in motorhome sales or something like that, there's a big difference between driving a normal sedan and going into a 40 foot mobile home or motorhome and, uh, actually sitting in the cockpit of that thing is sometimes, you know, you're, you get a little bit overwhelmed and you don't know exactly that you're going to be able to do it. So you want to take away some of that doubt and talk about the visibility aspect of the vehicle. Another thing I would talk to about with this customer, particularly uh, while I'm up front is the ease of a visibility to the front end of the hood. Sometimes when you're on bigger cars like this, customers get concerned that they can't see all the way to the end of the hood. Um, typically your older folks are concerned about that, but they don't like the new cars because they slope down. So you're going to hear that quite a bit um, over the years, I'm sure, but you're going to start seeing that go away a little bit just because the population has gotten a little more accustomed to dealing with these rounded off cars as opposed to the square ones. Now, these bigger vehicles sometimes lend to uh, multiple drivers. You're going to have the dad driving, the mom driving, all the kids in the car, things like that. So you may want to customize your walk around to that as well. So there's just a number of different things you can utilize in your walk around that'll help you show this customer that this car is perfect. So I'm not going to jump around back and forth to different kinds of customers as we're going around the car, but I'm going to try to customize this to Mr. Jones, who works about an hour away, spends an hour on the road every day and needs that 5,000 pound towing capacity and that six to seven passenger capacity. So we have to deal with a third row vehicle. Um, and we're gonna deal with a multiple driver scenario. So the wife is also gonna be driving as well as him. So I'm gonna just do a quick walk around with him, talk to him a little bit about little different things on the car and hopefully I can make this happen. I don't really actually have a car in front of me. So it's gonna be a little difficult to think of things. But one of the things I do is when I start out at the front, I, I talk a little bit about the styling, talk about those lights that I just told you about. Another thing that I also talk about is the air openings in the front of the vehicle. The air openings in the front of the vehicle allow for air to flow through. Now the car allows that engine to breathe better. Now, Mr. Jones, what that means to you, if the engine is breathing better, it's running more efficiently. And in a big vehicle like this, one of the things that a lot of people are concerned about is fuel economy. So I would address that right up front. Mr. Jones, one of the things you need to understand, this vehicle has these airflow ventilation systems for a multitude of reasons. Number one, this engine is going to be able to operate more efficiently and cooler with this airflow coming over the motor. That's the number one reason that they design it. The other thing that it does is it takes away some of that engine noise. And if you look above the cowl line, there seems to be a ventilation system right where the windshield meets the actual hood. That allows some of that noise and heat to escape, which pushes it up and over 
the entire vehicle, taking that heat and that noise away from you and inside the passenger cabin, it's much quieter and it's cooler inside. So those two things are important for as far as your airflow goes up front. But when that engine is working cooler, it also keeps it more efficient. So you're not burning as much gasoline, which saves you money in the long run. And that's pretty important to you, isn't it, Mr. Jones? And that's why I ask those kind of questions. Asking that little question at the end, isn't that important to you, Mr. Jones? He's going to say, yeah, that is that is a good thing. You're getting them to agree with you multiple times that this vehicle is perfect for them, okay? And Mrs. Jones, one of the things you're going to notice inside the car, like I said, is the, 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 the engine noise and the heat and everything basically gets pulled away from inside so you don't have any of that extra heat buildup that typically comes down around your feet or anything like that in some of the older large vehicles. It's actually going to be nice and cool inside the car and it's going to be a nice quiet ride. So you can actually have a conversation between you and the person that's in the third row seat, which is going to be important sometimes depending on what you're talking about. Okay, so I, I've used that, that front end of the car talking about the airflow. I've addressed both persons that are buying the vehicle, given them a reason why it's important that our car has this. So I've actually built a little more value and customized this car and the actual presentation to them particularly. As we close the hood, I'm gonna talk about fuel economy again. Mr. Jones, one of the things you're gonna notice is we do have a lower front end to the hood than to the back end of the hood. The reason we do that is the aerodynamic styling of the vehicle. It allows it to slice through the wind really quick um, so that there's not as much resistance. And that's actually gonna give you more fuel economy because it allows the engine to work better. Another thing that allows the engine to work better is we use a nine-speed transmission. Now, back in the day, it was a four-speed transmission. Then it became a five-speed and a six-speed. Then kind of from the six-speed, we jumped right to nine. So they found out what happens is these motors don't work nearly as hard on the highway if they have a nine-speed transmission. And opposed to some of the transmissions where what they were really doing back in the day is you would take like a four-speed transmission with overdrive. So they'd take like a solid transmission four speed and they would just add on an overdrive component that's gone way to the wayside what they've done is by utilizing this nine speed transmission you get quicker gear shifting as you accelerate which keeps the rpms of the engine down those rpms are revolutions per minute or what eats your fuel so if you can get that engine rpm down you're going to save more fuel and that, again that's more money in your pocket now the nice thing about that as well mrs jones is by us lowering that front hoods down just as slightly in the front, not only is it aerodynamic, but it's also gonna give you better visibility. So if you've got one of the kids or something walking in front of the vehicle as you're picking up at school or soccer practice, whatever you're doing, it allows you to see them clearly in the front, but it also gives you a very good scope of the road. Sometimes when you get in these larger vehicles, you feel like you just don't have quite the visibility that you did in smaller cars. And in this case, that is not the case because we use a large front windshield and we also have oversized side mirrors that are also heated. So if they're in the wintertime, you don't have to worry about any of the ice or the fog or anything like that on them. So you really have a lot of visibility, even though it is a large vehicle. So that's a nice thing for you to think about. And I'm just going to keep pushing them on around the car. I'm going to walk around to the left side of the car. Now, when you're under the hood, if you've got someone that's really into like, hey, I want to know everything about this car. I want to know about the engine. I want to know about these things. Point out the fluid reservoirs. The nice thing about these fluid reservoirs that we use on this car is we use clear reservoirs. In the older days, you had to open up the cap and actually look in it to see what it is. Now you can just do a quick check, look in there, make sure you got your fluid levels at the right level. Another nice thing about the vehicle, and I close the hood and I start walking around to the left side. We use a four-wheel disc system on this car. And the reason that we use four-wheel disc, cross 
with ABS is because it gives you the maximum braking. Anytime you have a braking system on a car, you have to understand that at any given time, a different brake is going to have more stress on it. So just as an example, as you're driving down the road and you, you hit your brakes, typically all four brakes are going to grab at the same time and they're all going to have about the same load on them. But in an emergency braking situation, all of that energy kind of floats towards the front as the weight of the vehicle shifts. By using ABS, we allow the brakes to pulse up to 40 times a second. And what that does is it doesn't just cause those front brakes to lock up. It allows them to flex a little bit and it actually releases some of that weight during that bounce or the, the, the pulse from the brakes. And that puts some of that load back on those rear wheels. You'll notice that cars years ago, when you slammed on the brakes, they almost like lifted in the back as they slammed on their brakes. Now they don't do that quite as much. They still a little lift, but there's still stability. And the reason that they do that is with the ABS system, it doesn't allow a full lockup of the front brakes so that that tilt doesn't occur. Plus you have a fully independent suspension, which gives you each wheel the capability of moving over objects individually. Now that also disperses the weight equally on the vehicle, even during stopping or those type of situations. The good news there is it gives you better handling it too while you're driving. So there's a couple of different reasons we use that. Um, one of the nice features about this is you can see the large rim. We use a 19 inch rim on this particular vehicle. And the way that this wheel is designed is it actually intakes air towards the braking system. And what that does is it keeps your brakes cool. Mr. Jones, two things happen when we use those brakes. Uh, Mr. Jones, number one, the first thing is it's going to keep you and your family safer, your family safer, because it's actually going to stop and it's going to function the proper way um, because you don't have to worry about any excessive dust buildup on those. And it also keeps your rims looking good because it pulls the, the dust away from it. Mr. Jones, what it's going to do is it keeps those brakes cool. Those brakes that are cool work more efficiently and also don't wear out as much. Heat causes the erosion of the pad. So if you can imagine um, rubbing your hands together really fast, at first, if you rub them together just a little bit, there's nothing gonna happen. But if you rub your hands together for a little while and you create that heat, what, what you're gonna start seeing is your, your skin is actually gonna start coming off your hand. And it's gonna cause, that friction causes that wear. Same exact thing happens to brake pads. That wear on your hands that you see happening and that, that deterioration or the skin starts to fall off, that's the same thing that happens with your brake pads. And if they're cooler, like you are when you first start rubbing your hands, they don't erode as quickly. So that's why we designed our specific rims this way, to keep these brakes cool. Now, understand something else. As you're stopping with that 5,000-pound trailer behind you, you're going to want to make sure those brakes are cool. Because if it brakes overheat, they tend to lock up and they tend to not function properly. So in order to get a nice smooth stop every time, you wanna make sure that the car you're using is ABS. Now, another thing that we use in our braking system, it's called cross diagonal braking system. If one of the brake lines should be severed for any reason, you go camping and a stick happens to pop up and cut one of the brake lines by chance. Don't know if that's even possible, but if it happened, the one thing you can assure, you have one good brake in the front, one good brake in the rear, one good brake on the left, one good brake on the right at all times. So regardless, our four channel ABS system is designed to independently control every single brake on the car. There's two lines that they run on and those are cross diagonal under the car. 
So if you can imagine the front left is connected to the right rear, right front's connected to the left rear. So that's how it works. Gives you straight stopping power all the time. Great system, and it's really the safest one on the market. Now, take a time out here for a second. Anybody tell their customers about their brakes that in detail? I don't think you do. And you know why? Because you don't know it. That's the kind of stuff you have to know for your customers. That's the kind of things you have to do to be a professional. Now, presenting the car in this manner takes a long time. And you know what? Sometimes people aren't going to want to wait that long. People are in a rush. People are in a hurry. We got to do this. We got to do that. We don't have time for this. And you're going to have to spend enough time with your customer in pre-sale information and information gathering to know whether or not you have someone that's really interested in this kind of things or not. Your typical walk around should take you somewhere in the 10 to 15 minute range, I would say, to cover the whole car. Now, I've spent a lot of time on this, but I'm trying to give you examples, multiple, where you only have to pick out one or two of these things to do to your customer. Um, I love the brake description because I know for a fact that when they go to another lot or they happen to talk to another salesperson about this vehicle, they're not going to get that. That car has it. It's a federal mandate. They have to have dual diagonal braking system. It's federally mandated. Every car has it. Guess what? You've never heard of it before and you've been selling the cars for a long time. You know why you heard of it now? Because I told you. Guess what? The other guy's not going to tell that customer. So therefore, your car has a bigger value. See, that's what it is about value selling and building value on your product. And it's taking time to explain everything in detail, step by step by step. Using your pre-sale information to build that value. Okay, so there's a million different things we can talk about on our walk around. We could talk about cargo capacity and we could throw off numbers. We could say this thing's got 50 cubic feet. It's fantastic. Well, guess what? What does that mean? What's 50 cubic feet? Imagine in your mind right now what 50 cubic feet looks like. Well, guess what? You're wrong. That's not what 50 feet is. So it's not that much. It's not that much room, really. I mean, it's about the room in a standard SUV in the back. I mean, it's not a ton of room, but that's what, you know, they'll, you know, everybody wants to know, how many cubic feet of cargo space does this have? But what are you relating it to? Relate it to something that matters to them. Mr. Jones, one of the things that's important is when you have your seven passengers in the car, you've got your trailer loaded up with everything it'll take. You're still going to have room for four suitcases and two coolers right here behind the third row seat. So you're not interfering with the seating area, but you still have plenty of cargo space behind it for the extra chairs, the folding chairs that you're going to have out at the campground, the grill, anything you need back here, it's going to have a ton of room for you to put it. And I'm basically customizing the size of a trunk space to what he does. Then we get into the inside of the car. We talk about the features that are important to him and important features that his wife cares about. And we take time and explain why they're important to him. You know, just use the exact examples that I laid out for you with the lights, with the fog lights, with the braking system, with the visibility, all those kind of things that you talk about. Don't just list items in your walk around. Actually go into the benefit that the customer has. We call this a feature and benefit walk around. But it really is more about an understanding and a very clear understanding of what your customer needs and how this vehicle fits it. If this customer looks at the car and really walks around it with you, listens to you, and is interested in this conversation and, and, and really involved in the walk around, continue. Keep going. Give them all that information because it's building. 
But you also have to understand you only have so much time before you're going to start losing this customer's attention. So keep your walkarounds very customized, very personal. And at the same time, read your customer to see how long you should take. Like I said, it's a 10 to 15 minute process. I've done them for 25, 30 minutes. But that's a guy that's asking me question after question after question at every single corner, you know, and I know that he has a vast interest in all of the inner workings of the vehicle, or he really, really, really is involved in this information because he's been dealing with people that haven't given him anything. So it's important to kind of read your customers, but it's even more important to make sure we use all that pre-sell information to customize this walk around. Guys, I hope it's been helpful this week. I really wanted to point out to you how important it is and how that pre-sell information, product selection, and the walk around are all tied together. It starts at the meet and greet and knowing things about the customer. And then we actually ask those questions. We find out what it is they're looking for. And then we show them and build the biggest value in vehicle that they're gonna see. They have to understand this car is gonna work for them. This is the only option you have. And the way we do that is by telling them how it's gonna work for them on a daily basis, how they're gonna be able to see better at their campsite, how they're gonna have better visibility to see their kids coming out of the school or wherever they're at. It's just really gonna make it easier for you to sell them once you get inside. And you know why so many salespeople are scared about presenting numbers and things like that? Because they haven't done their job outside. They haven't sold anything. See, I believe in one thing. In the car business, people just think you sell cars. And you go inside and that's where you sell cars. That's not what happens. Cars are sold outside. People buy them inside. Inside is a transaction. Outside is an emotional experience. And you have to take them to the highest level emotionally that you can get them outside so that it makes your job easier when you get inside. That's really what it takes to be a professional salesperson. And you know what? If you're doing that all the time, you're not going to have to ask anybody how to become a manager. You're not going to have to ask anybody how to be better, how to do this, how to do that. Because you're building value and you're selling your customers left and right. And nobody's going to know what happened. How the heck are you selling all these cars? Boy, it's crazy. They're going to ask you to be a manager so you'll teach everybody else. And part of that's helping everybody else too. So take your time. Learn your customer. Learn your inventory. Learn your product. And then customize that presentation to your customer. Every time, all the time. That's all the time we have this week. Thank you guys so much. And you guys have an awesome week on the blacktop.